How did you find me, Your Royal Highness? The president of the Society for Speech Therapists. Eileen McLeod. Oh, well, she's a sport. She warned me your antipodean methods were both unorthodox and uh, controversial. I warned her. Those are not my favourite words. <laughs> Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? And it's a podcast where we talk about movies, specifically a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 47, and we watched this week the movie The King's Speech. Joining me to talk about it, I have David. Hello. Hello. And coming back is The Jen. Hi. Hello. All right, so Jen, you had not seen this movie before. Uh, not only had I not seen the movie, I had heard the title, but had absolutely no idea what it was about. <laughs> and I until hadn't... I pushed play. <laughs> well, I hadn't seen it before either. I knew what the movie was about. I knew the basics of it. Um, it just slipped by my radar. I never saw it. I knew it. Uh, and and this one, it won Best Picture in 2010. And this is kind of wrapping up my uh, month long Oscar celebration leading up to the Oscars uh, with our Best Picture winner. Now we had a couple previous ones that were up for the running. I think. None of them won Best Picture um, prior to this one. This is our first Best Picture winner that we've covered this on our, this show. That's right. Um, and it also uh, won Best Actor for Colin Firth. So our third out of five, the last five movies that have had a Best Actor Oscar winner in it. Because we it had won a couple things. I think those it, are only two. Right. Uh, those are the two that uh, I knew of off the top of my head. And I, I know it won a couple others. Um, it was up for like 11 Oscars that year or something. Uh, so I have to say phenomenal. This movie was wonderful. I'm really sad that it took me 10 years to see it or nine, I guess, technically, because it came out in December of 2010, but man, this was good. Uh, Would you like the list? Uh, yeah, sure. Give it to me. Uh, best picture, best film editing, art direction, costume design, sound mixing, actor, director, Actor in a supporting role, actress in a supporting role, original screenplay, score, and cinematography, and it won screenplay, director, actor, and picture. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's good. <laughs> anyway, that's take. been the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, to be honest, um, I hadn't did not realize exactly what this was until I watched it obviously because I didn't know what it was about and upon watching it I know a smidge about um uh, royal history mostly because I watched the crown and it's interesting <laughs> to watch this because I watched the crown but I actually just did a rewatch of the seasons of the crown as well um, just recently for my own curiosity because I was trying to compare it to like actual events. Mm -hmm. And then I have been watching a lot of documentaries about the British royal family and their history and all of that because I have a lot of British um, people in my family, okay. um, ancestors and whatnot. So I was curious. So it's been a, a topic of curiosity. But what I found was really funny is that uh, one, uh, <laughs> so 
basically, if I if I'm understanding correctly, like Helena Bottom Carter plays this role and then basically plays her is it her granddaughter later or her no her her daughter in the um, crown because she plays uh, princess margaret yes. in the crown yeah, that'd be her daughter, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it'll be your daughter yep. so she has played margaret is her uh, is queen elizabeth's sister right exactly so what's funny and queen elizabeth is would be the daughter of the king that colin firth is portraying in this film correct right am i correct okay just mm -hmm. wanted to make sure i'm putting it all together correctly so i just think it's funny that she played two different roles and quite frankly they're very very different members of the royal family and i thought she played both of them very well mm -hmm. yeah she was fantastic in this um Really, all three of the primary leads were just phenomenal. Like Colin Firth earned his best actor. He killed it. He was so good in this. Um, just the whole time, and I, you know, I was looking back over my notes that I take as I watched the movies, and I kept writing down how he was. You could feel the vulnerability and the and the angst that, like, the anxiety that he had over not. He knew he couldn't get his sentences out, uh, and it bothered the hell out of him. And it just made it worse. It just kept feeding itself. But he was so good at portraying that. Like, I felt it the whole time. And I, I'm i a big Colin Firth fan. And, you know, you come off of watching him in something like The Kingsman or something else where he's just, he's so smooth and he can do that so well. And you watch here, and it's completely believable that he would have that that stammer and that stutter. Um, it was phenomenal. And I, I'm also a huge Jeffrey Rush fan. So this this, for me... It's another one of those. It's like last week we, we talked about Training Day, and I love Denzel Washington, and I love Ethan Hawke. So that movie for me, I can rewatch all the time just because of the two of them. And it's the same thing with this. Colin Firth and Jeffrey Rush, sign me up. That's all I need. And on top of that, I mean, you, you throw in Helena Bottom Carter. She's great. You got Guy Pearce in a small role. Um, Michael Gambon playing King George V. Okay. So before you go any further after naming that, so I had a moment of being like, oh, sweet Harry Potter reunion time, <laughs> because not only is um, do we have uh, Dumbledore, right? Yeah, Wormtail, yeah. But you have Wormtail, and I had to take a moment where I had to pause and rewind and be like, is that him? First of all, not super impressed with his portrayal of uh, of uh churchill winston churchill no, and in fact one of the trivia bits made me a little disappointed yeah one of the trivia pieces talked about that there was somebody i'll see if i can find it but go ahead no i just felt like maybe it's just i, I mean i have an international politics degree so i have there are certain people that you have read a lot about or learned a lot about and know a lot about and you can see a portrayal of winston churchill the way um that it's handled in the crown mm-hmm and then you see it here and you're like, oh, like there was no gravitas. He was just like a weird man that was just couldn't walk right and yeah, kind of dismissive. And it just didn't feel like Churchill at all. And Churchill always had, even if it was, I'm going to be, you are aware of my presence, whether or not it's, it's not a charisma because it's not. He mm -hmm. wasn't a charismatic man. But you knew when Churchill was in the room. Yeah, he, he <laughs> Not, had a presence, yeah. that's for sure. Um, no, it was, uh, what's his name, Robert Hardy, who was Cornelius Fudge in the Harry Potter movies. Um, yes. 
he was uh this was let's see who had previously he had played winston churchill several times on screen um described timothy spall's performance in an interview with the telegraph as quote absolutely awful yeah i i would 100 percent agree <laughs> and it's too bad because i like tim i like timothy spall um and but you're right it's that i it's a character that's so well known that i mean you know who is it ian mcneese plays him in uh, doctor who and he's playing kind of a caricature version but i think that's a better version than Timothy whether Spall. you're doing a caricature or you're doing a, a a more accurate portrayal there it needs to be obvious when you're playing somebody that important even if it's only a small role right if yeah. you'd ask somebody who he was portraying without hearing the name you would have never known i actually had to stop rewind for one figure out who it was but two i didn't actually know who he was supposed to be portraying and i had to hear it again well and, and that was disappointing yeah and to your point you were saying churchill wasn't charismatic but he had a gravitas i think is oh, a yeah. perfect word for it like he had that thing and you knew when he was around um but yeah so you had a little uh little harry potter reunion with with those <laughs> yeah. those three michael gambon too like there's some people that are in this movie that just have those voices that I will listen to forever. Michael Gambon is one. Derek Jacoby. I was just going to say, I didn't know how to pronounce. I didn't know if it was Jacoby or Jacoby, but I, he, I love him. Now, okay. So he was in two best pictures that I know of for sure because there's this one in Gladiator. Gladiator. But yeah. I don't remember him from either of those. What I remember him from is The Secret of Nim. Oh, that's funny. I don't know if if you've seen that or if it's been a while, but he he was Nicodemus in that, and and that's all voice. So that voice, that's the first thing I think of is is Nicodemus, that rat. See, I think of a couple things. One, I think of um, he was in the Borgias, mm-hmm. uh, only a couple episodes, but he played a cardinal or something, or an archbishop or something religious that mattered. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the worst description I've ever heard. Um, he was also in um, oh gosh, I had it, and then now it's running away with me. Um, he played Corvinus mm-hmm. in Underworld Evolution. Yes, that's right. Wow, and that's what that. I think of him from. Okay, it's funny how you can you can peg an actor to certain roles, and you never know who it's going to be. Like I would yeah. never have guessed that at all. But that's a good one. No, he's just, he's another one of those with that voice, though. Him, Michael Gambon. Uh, Jeffrey Rush has that kind of a voice, uh, whether mm-hmm. he's doing the the Pelican in um, Finding Nemo or uh, what was his character in Mystery Men? It was like Casanova Frankenstein, I think it was. Can we talk about movies I've never seen that I get made fun of the most for? Mystery Men? No, Finding Nemo. Oh. Mm. <laughs> I'll let that one go. Noted. Uh, Noted. <laughs> but uh and then and then Colin Firth, of course, just killing it. And and I love Helena Bonham Carter too. And she's one of our uh connections, so I always like to connect to previous movies we've done. Uh she was in Fight Club. That was like our second or third episode. Um and then Guy Pierce, um, I just covered in LA Confidential a few weeks ago. And here he was. So you had you had Colin Firth playing the King of England. You had an Australian playing the other uh, prince, 
He was Guy Pierce, and then what was it? An Irishman playing King George, and Michael Gamba. So <laughs> mixing it all up, and and then Jeffrey Rush just getting to be Australian. And Jeffrey Rush, um, I loved him in Frida. Mm. It had like, a very very small part. <laughs> But he was great in Frida, um, and it took me a minute to remember where I knew him from the most. And it's a really dumb guilty pleasure movie that I'm gonna admit out loud that I actually have watched more times than I probably should have, which is The Banger Sisters, which is a really dumb but fabulous movie. <laughs> I haven't seen that one, so. But if Jeffrey Rush is in it, maybe I will. I don't know. Yeah, he it's a weird comedy with um oh gosh, what's her name? Um she's had all of the plastic surgery now and it's sad, but her daughter does stuff now. Uh Goldie Hawn. Okay. It's Susan Sarandon and Goldie Hawn and it's like a uh, they're like friends reconnecting after a million years. One of them is like anyway, it's it's a weird story. Moving on. <laughs> hmm. well, I'll have to check that one out. But yeah, I he so I do feel like he should have maybe won uh, a uh, Best Supporting Actor for this because I thought he was phenomenal. Um, there was just something about his presence. Like he always felt, he always felt a little, little bit too stiff, and like he wanted to be proper, but at the same time, he just it wasn't it wasn't comfortable for him to be like that. Um, and uh, so. Because I always notice that like his stance or the way he would hold his arms at his sides, like just felt like he's like, okay, this is how I'm supposed to stand, but it's not comfortable for him. He's just so much more relaxed, and that, you know, when then you get the twist or the reveal um, that he, you know, he has no formal training. He's not a doctor. Like he wouldn't know any of these things. Type of type of stuff, um, and it sort of makes a lot more sense. But I just he was so great in this. I actually thought he was better than Colin Firth, to be honest. I am not that not that not that his conference was bad. I just felt that 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 for um, that particular role was so strong, so good. It was it was it's the subtle things sometimes I think that make supporting roles so good. And he was good at all of the subtle. It was head to toe. Yes, like you said, the way he stood, the way he paused on certain words, and you could tell he's like. I'm playing somebody who is supposed to be unsure of what to do with myself mm -hmm. in this situation because I'm in this situation. And then you can, and he portrayed that character with just the subtle differences of how he acts with his children, right? Mm -hmm. And his wife. Um, a lot of really, um, that was something I really enjoyed about this was insight into relationships in movies is always a thing that interests me and like husband and wife dynamic. That yeah. was really interesting in this too, um, was how you, like when she was like, okay, I need him to look good. I'm going to help him. I'm going to do the thing that I need to do, which is to help him along. And uh, that is very, that part was supposed to be fairly historically accurate as well um, from what I was reading. Yeah. No, I, I thought that, um, that both the, you know, marriages, both the relationships or all of the relationships really, but. But Helena Bonham Carter and Colin Firth, the, you know Elizabeth and George, she genuinely cared so much to, and just wanted to help him. Um, oh, and Jeffrey Rush lost out to Christian Bale 
that year for the fighter. That's who. Boo. That was I a like strong. That, that was a strong year though, because you had Christian Bale, but Jeremy Renner in the town, Mark mm. Ruffalo and the kids are all right, mm. Jeffrey Rush in the King's Speech, and John Hawks in Winter's Bone, which oh. that dude needs to win an Oscar at some point. I, I will watch if John Hawks is in a movie. I'm watching it. He's one of those for me. But it's funny that you bring up that you thought Jeffrey Rush did a better job than Colin Firth, because that's the argument that I was making last week was Denzel Washington 1,000% earned his best actor for Training Day. He's phenomenal. I thought Ethan Hawke was better. I might actually agree with you there, too. And it's for a lot of the same reasons. It's that subtlety. It's the, the small nuances in the in the part um, that, do, that does that for me. So I can't disagree with you that Rush was better in this than Firth, and they're both just phenomenal and just working off each other the whole time. You got that feeling that... They went from adversarial to friends. Like it felt like an earned friendship by the end of the movie. And it was a unique friendship. And that's what's so interesting about this, too, is that um, obviously there were some liberties taken to help, um, mm-hmm. shall we say, truncate the story to make it fit a narrative that makes the film entertaining. Yeah. You know, this is something it's funny because we actually almost made a podcast on America's Next Top Podcaster one week where we were talking about making a podcast about comparing like how true to life uh, movies are Mm. or, you know, to like their actual stories. And I was thinking about that a bit when I was watching this um, was how interesting (laughs) of a topic that is to me, um, which is uh, they they, there's a point where you have to still entertain. Right. Mm hmm. And they did bring up a lot of things. I did notice that they took very careful effort to not bring up any of um, the anything about um, the involvement with Germany and his potential Nazi sympathies and all that. Yes. Um, They absolutely avoided that. And there was an and not in there at all. And I'm actually kind of glad because I think it would have made that a story more about his story. And and sometimes I felt like it really took away from the major story in The Crown when they talked about it so much in The Crown. Um, so I was actually glad that they made that choice, even though I'm sure some people are like, it's not accurate because... Well, yeah. However, that's the kind of thing that as soon as that becomes a focal point at all, that will be the focal point. Like, it's just so ingrained, and that's just how it would be. So you're right. It was probably a good narrative choice to kind of skirt around that and leave that out. And, you know, just tell the the story that you wanted to tell, which is about King George and about him overcoming this real tough issue that he has and and how determined he was um i love that line when uh when he towards the i guess about what hour and 20 minutes in when they're in the cathedral and jeffrey rush is just sitting in the throne and he's freaking out at him and then he yells you know i have a voice and he's he yells that out and you just you see that look on uh on lionel's face and then he goes (laughs) you are one of the bravest men i've ever met like I love that. That is one of those moments that really solidified the movie for me. 
Um, it was great up until that point, and that like gave it that took it from a ten to an eleven in my mind. Like I love this movie, um, and it's moments like that. Plus, I just love that that shot where he turns around and he's just sitting in that throne, all comfort, you know, lounging in it. And he's like, "What are you doing?" Like well, it was just to chop the names into it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk for a second about the cinematography for this. It did not win the Oscar for cinematography, it lost to uh, Inception that year. Which made sense because Inception pushed boundaries that had never been pushed before and did things that had never been done before. And honestly, that is something where I could not in any way argue that it should have won over Inception. That being said, it was a very creative approach to a historical film. And I I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, it was just beautifully shot. Uh, the whole thing, like, it's one of those, I always see people put up uh, frames from, like, Wes Anderson films and, you know, talk about, oh, I want to get this framed and put on my wall. I would do that with shots from this movie. Yeah. That shot of the couch in his yeah. his room and that wall behind it, like, that is just, there's so much going on in such a simple shot. Or, it's the coloring. It, mm-hmm. It's the, the overall mood of... Of the film as far as it's it's that thing that lets you go away and realize it's it's that thing that lets you know this is old timey without being black and white you know what yeah, I mean it's, exactly it's, it's very and it puts you in that mood and in fact that was one of the things I was very impressed with um, and it's something that I always find interesting is fashion mm-hmm. and I very much enjoyed uh, the realism with particularly his wife, because that's the fashion that I know better is, you know, female fashion and hairstyles and how she has to keep her hair so that those finger roll curl things come out the way they're supposed to. And there's like the scene where they're talking, I think they're in their bedroom. um, And her hair is obviously being prepped for that. And a lot of actresses probably wouldn't let themselves be in that kind of an outfit for a film because it's not attractive necessarily. It's not flattering at all. No, not at all. But Helena Bonham Carter, man, she doesn't, she does not care. She will do whatever is the most. She's been in some outfits. (laughs) Yes. That's a good way to put it. Well, it's funny because my immediate thought was the Queen of Hearts. Yeah. Yeah. There's that one. I actually go to, uh, believe it or not, did either of you see the Hallmark uh, um, movie that. I'll stop you right there. No. No, no, no. So this wasn't Hallmark <laughs> Channel. This was a Hallmark production of Merlin. It was. Um, it ran on, I think it was like NBC miniseries back in the late 90s. Um, and then you could buy it on DVD. It's like four hours long. It was a two-night thing. But Helena Bonham Carter is in it playing, um, oh, I can't think of her name now. Um, but it's a, it's a story of Arthurian legend, but it's all told around Merlin. And she's in it. She spends half of it with like a, an oddly disfigured face, and yeah. that's what I remember. Uh, like when I hear her name, that's the first image that pops in my head is like the two different versions of her that were in that. So she's definitely not averse, and you know, friends with Tim Burton, you know, yeah, yeah. so not averse to weird looks, that's for sure. Is she so not married to Tim Burton? She might be married to him. Yeah. I was going to say, I think they're actually <laughs> together. If I'm not mistaken, um, they are together. But uh, one of the things I thought was really interesting is that, uh, so Colin Firth won an award for this, 
but he was like the third choice to play that role. Yeah. Yeah, he was not the first choice. Um, and part of that is he doesn't not even look. The second choice. Yeah. Well, there was the only, um, I, I wouldn't even call it controversy, but the only thing anybody really said about it was that he doesn't look like um, Prince Albert or King George. Or it's really not that bad. But he looks yeah, fine. It's not that far no, off. He, but yeah, who? He's not. I can't remember who they had ahead of him now. Paul Bettany and Hugh Grant. That's Paul right. Bettany Paul Bettany was the first choice. He would have been great. Um, sure. But, but Hugh Grant is like not. I don't know if he would have handled that. I don't know if he had the the chops at that time. Yeah, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I mean, he was it was past his like I'm only doing romantic comedies and being charmingly befuddled, but not quite to where he is now. Which uh, I think I'm going to go see the gentleman this weekend, and I'm I'm kind of looking forward to that. And he's in that. So yeah, Paul Bettany. That's tomorrow. Who. I'm thinking of going to it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, Let me know. I will. We're but, making plans uh, in a podcast. But um, Paul Bettany would have been great, but man, Colin Firth, just another one of those with presence. Um, it's good. So I mean, the hard part is that I love Paul Bettany for the wrong reasons, and that's just because he played Vision. So <laughs> he played Vision. So like, I'd be like, yeah, him. But that's just because I find him sexy. Well, he is. Yeah, but Colin Firth did a really, 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 really commendable job in this role. Um, it's hard to portray a historical figure and a king, and like people underplay that a lot. That's not easy. It's it's not. It's not easy. Like a historical figure, say your um, Mel Gibson playing William Wallace in Braveheart. Like you can, you've got a lot more liberty with that because nobody's yeah. got footage of William Wallace. But no. you're talking about a historical figure, the King of England. During a time where there was film cameras and radio and, and is well known and documented, like that's not easy to do. And to not only do that, but do it well is incredibly impressive. And, you know, I just, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Like I can't say enough good things about it. Um, I was looking, so Danny Cohen was the cinematographer for this. This was his, that was his um, one Oscar nomination or no. Yeah, his one Oscar nomination was 2011 for the King's Speech. Uh, he lost out that year to, listen to this, here's some good cinematography for you. Wally Pfister for Inception, and he won it. Uh, this movie, which I have a couple other shots I want to talk about because they were like just visually amazing. Wally Pfister. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Roger Deakins uh, for True Grit. Oh, um, that was good, though. And Roger Deakins is like an institution yeah. when it comes to cinematography. Um, Matthew, I'm not going to try and pronounce that like Libatique, maybe uh, for Black Swan. Um, Libatique, by the way, that was incredible too. And then Jeff Cronenweth for uh, the Social Network, um, which you know, if you see it's a interesting. if you see a Christopher Nolan movie, movie or you see a David Fincher movie, you know the cinematography is going to be good in either one of those. So Social Network. I get it, um, but man, I, you're right, and I can't argue that Inception won it because of what they did. Um, and I think any other year, this movie wins the Oscar because there was a couple like, okay, Absolutely. so there's that moment about an hour into the movie where the they go out for a walk, and it's just the two of them walking, and he's just frustrated, and uh, George is frustrated, 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 and finally just snaps, yells at uh, at Jeffrey Rush's character, yells at Lionel, calls him a 
whatever it was, disappointing son of a brewer and walks away from him. And as he's lighting his cigarette and walking away and that shot where it slowly, Jeffrey Rush is like slowing down and falling back from him. And then the camera just keeps following Colin Firth and he's, he just comes a little bit more and more out of focus. And it just, that, that shot right there was like, that's beautiful. It's beautifully done, framed, all of it. I love stuff like that. I love seeing things like that. So, and then the color palette of everything yeah, is like this kind of drab so color, yep. but not washed out. Great pops so, of color too. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, absolutely. Cause like there was so many things that were just like, yeah, very neutral, very beige, very, and then all of a sudden there would just be like a pop, like when there was so much neutral color coming to the point where he's wearing that jacket the first time he's, you know, he's mm-hmm. wearing his jacket with all of, with lapel, with all of the signifiers. Yes. That was like the first bit of color that you'd seen in a while. And it made it just seem so much more important. Like the weight of that coat and the weight of the fact that he is now king standing in this room in front of a whole bunch of people that are expecting him to be king. It just gave so much gravity to how absolutely intense that must feel and the other part about it that made it so intense is everything was so closed and tight and like just in very very closed in and then you would have those shots where he's like it just exposed in front of people Mm -hmm. and you really feel for him in those moments and go wow like how do you overcome this insecurity that you have about how you speak and then now you have to be this very important person in front of all these people and it just Again, just laid bare in front of all of them. Yeah, definitely has uh, a pronounced sense of secondhand uh, embarrassment and mm-hmm. oh yeah, uh, you know, courage. And then every like every time he was um, he'd be having a speech or having to deliver some address, the way they'd cut to different people, sort of going, uh, you know, I don't know about this guy, sort of. Yeah, not really sure what to well, do. When just, they cut to just, his wife at the beginning, oh. yeah, and it just sort of that is one of those. It just sort of emphasized the feeling of how it must be to see someone in this position, and you know, not acting like it. Because I think Michael Gambon said that you're a prince, act like one, or something like mm-hmm. that. Well, it's like also it's that moment of like haven't we all had that time where your kid significant other very dear friend or somebody is just falling on their face and you can't show it because it's still happening Mm -hmm. but you're going to do something about it immediately afterwards and like you could just read all of those paragraphs of detail off of her face at that very first moment where it's just like stutter silence nothing and just her face which is I'm not going to show any of this right now, but you can feel all of it. Mm-hmm. Well, and then and then you get the juxtaposition of the end where he's giving his the final speech and the way they shot that. So it's it's all these reaction shots of people sitting down listening, people gathering around their radio. His all brother of waiting for him to fall on his face. Yeah, and cut and and then they shoot him between him and the microphone, right? So the camera. Yes dives in between the two of them you get right up on his face and you can see it so it's no longer him speaking into a microphone he's speaking directly to the audience and it's that that kind of visual um shortcut storytelling i love that because it 
you got a little bit of that at the beginning and now you get the payoff of it at the end and you felt it that much more. It was great. Um, yeah, I, that was the other one I wanted to, to mention was those, those tight in shots of just nothing but Colin Firth filling your screen and then you get reaction shot, reaction shot, and then it comes back and you can see him developing and getting better as the speech is going on. He's getting yeah. more and more confident in what he's doing. responding to Lionel. Yep. Lionel's cues and how he'd read that and interpret those. Yeah. And you see that determination. That's what it is. It's it's his, Birdie's determination throughout all of that growing and just making him power through it is so, really powerful is what it was. It was really affecting. So... One of the things, I, unless you had any other notes about cinematography, one of the things I wanted to talk about was ratings. Yeah, no, go for it. Um, so I found it really funny that there was a bunch of controversy about what rating this film was supposed to have. Yeah. Because of the scenes where there's a minute long scene where he encourages the king to just yell profanities. Mm-hmm. With, so that he could, you know, not stutter. And so there was a point where, um, like, for example, Roger Ebert, when they gave it an R, that meant anyone under the age of 17 couldn't go see it without an adult. And the thing was, is that Roger Ebert was saying, okay, you gave it an R rating because of these expletives, but this is a film, I think his quote was, this is an excellent film for kids to see. Mm -hmm. This is an excellent film for them to see. And it's unfortunate that we're going to let this weird requirement on rating systems show there. And like to compare it to other things, like um, it certifies the film as 15 for bad language. But yet films like Salt and Casino Royale have 12A ratings, even though there's graphic torture scenes in them. Yeah. So this was rated harder than graphic torture scenes. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. of the por- of the of the language. I'm. You specifically said it had a 15 rating, and and I th- I do think that Americans have a stigma with things that other places are like totally okay with nudity, swearing, um, and I know we sound oh funny British words uh, when they say bugger and bloody, which we're like ah oh, silly British uh, people. Those are such goofy words, uh, but over there those you know if you're a kid and you say that you catch a beating and uh and we're like ah but then uh and then he finishes with willie and we're like and over there again it's the same story that's that's like willie's not the worst word but i'd say that's like us saying crap or damn it's like teetering into Mm -hmm. censorship um well i mean i always laugh it's like Little Mermaid has the chef going, Zutalo, I've missed one, which is basically like saying, oh, gosh, darn it, I, with a lot more intensity. Right, yeah. And it's like, that is an actual cuss word. Yeah, (laughs) but, you know, I think Europe and places like that are just more open to that. But they weren't in this case. They literally gave harder rating to this like a harder rating to this than they did to both salt and casino royale yeah. like those examples are intense and then like apparently there was like a whole conversation about re-editing the film to remove some of the profanity just so they could get it to a larger audience but 
Uh, they were hardcore. Uh, they refused. So I think that's good, though. Yeah, and, you know, it. I think what I read, or I think I read something where it originally got a 15 rating and then it got dropped to a 12 rating with the disclaimer that it was um, profanity in a speech therapy setting. But the thing, like... Ratings. That's, that's like medical nudity, right? Yeah, and, basically. But here's, here's my problem: is or artistic nudity. Ratings boards have no. There's no recourse against them, and they don't have to tell you why you're getting that rating. So I've read so many interviews with directors. Uh, Kevin Smith is famous for talking about. You know, I think it was Dogma. He sent in, and it got an NC-17 rating. And yeah. they don't tell you why. They just say it's NC-17. And so you have yeah. to, as a, as a filmmaker, you then have to go, okay, well, what can I get rid of to try and get myself a better rating? And people, like, Dogma is a classic example because they talk about how violent it is. There's no violence, like, no violence takes place on screen. It's all implied. And it's, it's just... they're mocking religion. Exactly. I feel like I didn't believe no, you, but then I went back and I recounted all the things that I thought were violent, and you're right, every single one of them was implied. Yeah, it's all implied off-screen violence. Oh, his violence. wings, though. That that's bloody the part only... with his wings being bloody, that's the part that makes me, ooh. Yeah, but that's the bit. only thing, and that's not till the very that's end true. of the movie. It's it's because <laughs> it's language and because it's irreverent. Sexual innuendo. Yeah, sexual innuendo and, and irreverence towards the Catholic Church. Like, yeah. that's why. But something like this, getting an R rating because of one scene. It's we talked. To, I didn't talk about this during it, but Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is an example. That movie is PG-13, straight through. It's it, it has moments where it's almost silly. But because there's that one scene with Steve Martin where he drops like 15 F-bombs in a minute, which is hilarious, it got an R rating. Now that one I can almost understand more than this because that was literally put in there to get an and, R rating. And that was also put in there because he was abusing someone right. as part of it. It wasn't... Just but swearing for swearing sake. This was like this movie shouldn't have had to deal with that because it's two scenes. It's less than a minute of screen time, and it's in a, it's in a sent, it's in a state where it's almost. Uh, and and I don't want to say, well, I don't want to say it's almost like Tourette's because it's not, and that's not a fair uh, comparison. But he's using it as a way to like when he's getting angry like that. And he's swearing and he's yelling and he's singing and he's doing all these things. His brain is not thinking about his stutter and his stammer and he can just talk. And so it's therapeutic. So, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of the way ratings boards deal with all that kind of crap because it's dumb. Like, give a reason for what you're rating something and be consistent. You know, perfect example is tor literal torture scene in Casino Royale. That gets a PG-13. That is, yep. and that's a... That's a That's rough a torture scene, scene, too. That's not a chill. Yeah, exactly. And and this movie, which has nothing else that should get it in our rating, he drops a, a consecutive string of like 30 seconds straight of F-bombs, and it gets an R. I just, it's dumb to me. So anyway, I, I'll I climb down off my soapbox now. No, anyway, no, I, for, I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> thanks for listening to the podcast where Travis doesn't let us swear. <laughs> no. <laughs> You know what? It's all it's cracked up to be. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll say the one other thing I wanted to talk about was the reaction to the film on the part of the royal family, mm -hmm. um, in particular Queen Elizabeth uh, II, so I, the I daughter that, of King George VI. So what's interesting is she was sent two copies of the film before Christmas of 2010, 
And the Sun newspaper reported that she watched the film in a private screening and a, a palace source described her reaction as being, quote, touched by a moving portrayal of her father. And honestly, I don't think you could have possibly gotten any. I mean, that's high praise. Yeah. And I and you know that they had a very close relationship. Um, and that's portrayed a lot in The Crown, too. They do a good job of that because they did. They had a very special relationship i mean he let his daughter run off and be live kind of an interesting life before she had to be queen to be honest yeah. um but you they had a really interesting relationship i read a lot about it just because i was so fascinated uh by it in the crown that i wanted to know how much of that was really accurate so um i felt that that was very very high praise to have to say something like that about the film just because i know how important their uh relationship was yeah, that's that's great. Um, and you don't even have to be a queen for that to resonate. I think uh, any based on a true story where participants or uh, members of the story are still alive and can comment on this piece. Oh, created. it's so it's probably you're like the director probably sits down in a chair and goes, oh, my God, and wipes his forehead and is like, like the one I can think of uh is uh walk the line mm-hmm. where their daughter um Roseanne talked about the portrayal of her mother or not Roseanne um oh the other June, right no yeah their daughter um oh I thought June was his daughter but you're right no no June uh June is uh June is the mom yeah. so it's it's Johnny Cash and June Carter and then their daughter, something Carter Cash, <laughs> right. which I feel bad for forgetting right now. It just escaped my mind the moment I said it. But she talked about the portrayal of her mother. Um, and that film, I think, came out right before after they died. Because they died within like six months of each other, too. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. But um, that was that's exactly what I was thinking of when I when I read that about how she felt about the film was that walk a line version it is it's like the highest honor you can get is when somebody who knows that person is like okay it may not have been perfectly historically accurate but it was a really great portrayal of the essence of who that person was which is sometimes even more important right than the specifics of how it happened right it's sort of the opposite of what um what bruce lee's daughter said about him his portrayal in once upon a time in hollywood you know, where that was uh, a caricature of one, like a caricature of a persona that Bruce Lee had when he was on screen because he wasn't like that normally. So, yeah, kind of the opposite. So the screenwriter, David Seidler, who won uh, an Oscar for his screenplay, best original screenplay, was the oldest person to win it at that point. He was 73 years old when he won, had a stammer when he was a kid. And he heard about the wartime speech when he was a child. So he actually wrote to um, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, and asked permission to do the story. And she asked him not to do it while she was alive because the memories were too painful. So he waited until after she had passed before making this, you know, getting this movie made. So and then to have queen elizabeth you know the daughter say that it was it was a good portrayal i like that i love hearing stuff like that they found um nine weeks before filming so 
looking at some trivia here, but um, Lionel Logue's grandson found a box full of um, personal papers, and it had a bunch of notes and diaries, including uh, stuff related to the speech, like the the diary entries right after the big speech and all that, that they, they got given to them. Uh, Tom Hooper and um, David Seidler got given to them to use uh, in prep preparation for the movie. That's really cool too. Cause that can give you such great insights into the character. And that's probably, I mean that, that goes a long way to helping your, your actors portray these people, right? You get to see like their private notes and these little things. So it's amazing what, so interesting. Uh, what kind of stuff you can get. Um, Tom Hooper is somebody we haven't talked about at all yet, but he was the director for this and won an Academy Award. Um, I, I don't know if either of you know him by name, but uh, he's been in the news lately for uh, his most recent movie. You know what that one is? I don't know. <laughs> Cats. Oh, oh no. Oh, how, how can the... you make this? How can you direct this and that? Oh, how the Ooh. mighty fall. So, he hey, we did... all make a bad filler once in a while. Well, so he did the King's Speech. His next movie was Les Mis. Oh, I didn't. I, that's what I thought it was, but I thought I was mistaken. Another fantastic movie. Yeah. See, no, I thought I was completely misthinking, and it would also explain why some of the actors that were in this were also in Les Mis. That mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense because they they do that. <laughs> Directors and and folks, they when they like somebody in one thing, all of a sudden they start showing up in like everything they do for a while, which makes sense. Yeah. Um. But that's really, really unfortunate. Yeah, I mean that's such a stark contrast because oh, he I also have did the Danish girl. The Danish oh. girl. Um, he did a couple episodes John of his Adams. Dark Materials. Oh. But yeah, uh, Cats, which I have yet to hear anything good about, other than like the only thing good I hear about Cats is it's like seeing The Room. Go see it in a theater full of people. Um, I've heard the songs are good because I mean the musical's good. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure the songs are great, but I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't know if I can do it. Memory. <laughs> um, I will say that um, because see, like I know him. One of the the things that I think was his best work, director wise, honestly, is the Danish Girl. Um, that is amazing, and I think. I know Eddie Redmayne was nominated, but I don't think he won. So for the Danish let's girl, take a look. Uh, but one, that was that was no. Hooper's film. It, he did not. Uh, Alicia. But he was nominated, right? Yeah, he was nominated. Okay. Uh, okay. Eddie Redmayne and uh, Alicia Vikander. Vikander. Oh yeah. She oh, won. Lara Croft. Yeah, she mm-hmm. won for um, best actress in the supporting role. Good. So I, I'm know, surprised and, that Helena Bonham Carter didn't win for the Best Supporting Actress. Who won that year? Uh, that year she was nominated too. She was. It was Melissa Leo won for The Fighter. Um, <sighs> it was her. Amy Adams was up. Uh, Haley Stanfield or Steinfeld, uh, for what True was, Grit. What Amy, was Amy Amy Adams was also The Fighter. The Fighter got oh, a lot right. of nominations that year. It was like they're all about it. They're all about The Fighter. Yeah. I'm, Kind of a little bit surprised at how many uh, it got, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I'm I don't want to hold like cats, and I've heard mixed reviews on Les Mis too. Um, some people I liked it, but I'm a big musical guy. 
Yeah, and oh, me I too. Don't, See, I don't well, I'm not a, a musical problem. guy, but I am into musicals. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a problem with musicals at all. Um but I, there was something about the trailer for Cats that just made me like not want to see it, and I, there's a, some uncanny valley stuff going on there. Um, but there's so much. I know this isn't the Cats cast, but there's so much money and phenomenal CGI out there. Mm-hmm. Like, look at the new like Jungle Book or Lion King. Why couldn't they just make them like cats with voices? Yeah, I don't know. I'm really not sure. Why couldn't they have put them in makeup? Like, you know, the Broadway musical, which has won every Tony Award in the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, literally every Tony Award <clears throat> and, award and possible. Diddy is in the chat right now saying, Cats was great on Broadway, but the movie was just got awful. Did you actually see the movie, Diddy? I'm curious to know if you put yourself through that or not. Um, oh, wow. So... <laughs> So he, at this point, oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, I was just gonna say he worked with um, Chadwick Boseman on Red Dust back in two thousand four. Yeah. No, I'm just laughing because Cats had a budget of eighty to one hundred million, and so far it's like sixty four point five seven million in the box. Well, office. Don, you are a better person than I am for for actually going and seeing that movie. Yeah, and it's sad because like I want to go because it's I wanted to enjoy it because it's. My grandmother has since passed, but she's the one that got me originally interested in musicals. And Cats was one of her favorites, and we used to watch it all the time. And it's really unfortunate. Yeah, I I remember in the trailer it was what a cast, what a source material, what a director. Well, it's a T.S. Eliot story, which most people don't even know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you said the budget for that was like eighty million or something. Eighty to one hundred million. Okay, and it's like losing money at this point. So far, yeah. Because to give an example, The King's Speech, now almost 10 years ago, but its budget was $15 million. Uh, and it made 138 in the U.S. and almost 430 worldwide. That's rough. You know, so... That's real rough. It, it kind of shows you... I Maybe it's just a thing where Tom Hooper needs to not try to, like, overdo it. Uh, you can do that sometimes, like... Some directors, some directors can work with a big budget and work with kind of uh, that thing. And um, some, some tend to, yeah, Christopher Nolan is a good example, or Spielberg, for the most part, is a good example of that. But um, I think sometimes if you get too much budget and you go too ambitious, you lose or you fall out of what you're good at. And th- that's not to say that you, you know, as a director, you shouldn't try and take risks. Um, and clearly, Tom Hooper likes musicals because he's done more than one um but maybe doing cats that way just wasn't a great idea i don't know um he also did a couple episodes of the his dark materials series which i'm yeah. curious to see oh, the hbo elizabeth the first piece too was actually really good i i'm annoyed because i'm pretty sure cats ended our musical renaissance <laughs> Uh, what with Les Mis and La La Land, such. I don't and think I, so. I think no, that that's. Wrong. I think I, I think that there are enough things out there that will bring it back. Plus, the fact that James Corden still gets as many views as he does on YouTube will mean that all of us musical theater obsessed kids will continue to get all of our musical theater movies, and it won't stop. I promise. <laughs> it won't stop. You just won't see maybe an adaptation like that ever again. 
Yeah, I feel like unless it's going to be on purpose or there's a purposeful intention for it or it's like you said, like decide what you're going to do and commit to it. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like this was not a commitment, you know, it, it, from but again, I haven't seen it, so I can't really speak to it just yet. Um, but uh, that's really sad. Well, I mean, Diddy said he loved the musical and he hated the movie, so. Yep. He says that it was just god awful. So, so but that happens sometimes. Yeah, that's true. That's I, true. I know we're I know we're on a cat's tangent. Uh, yeah, I will be the professional one to pull us back to King's Speech. Okay, uh, Travis, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the first podcast where I am the only person featured who has seen the movie before? I believe so. And I know, especially early on, our joke was you hadn't seen anything, and we're the only one keeping the show going. So it's nice to have that. Uh, it's nice to have that that uh, change up, and you can be the one. Anyway, put that in the trivia. Yes, uh, when we're huge and have a Wikipedia page. Yep, put that in the um, trivia for this. One hundred percent will be there. I mean, Diamond Club has a Wikipedia page. We can put you in a Wikipedia page right now. There we go. Um, but let me tell you, this is. I'm really glad that you threw me in on this because I can't believe that I let this get by. I guess because it's called the King's Speech and it's not named after a British royal family member, I didn't get it. I didn't know what it was about, you know? I was like, the King's Speech, okay, it's, that's cool. I'm sure it's about whatever. I don't know. I had no idea what it was about. I did not realize that it was meant to be somewhat historically accurate. I didn't think it was... <laughs> But I'm glad that this was rectified because I can't believe that this film missed me. Like, I don't know how. I just complete blind spot. Oh, I mean, it happens sometimes. <laughs> you know, I, I usually tend to try and see a lot of the movies that get up for Best Picture, even though typically... Okay, I, I don't. Well, and and it's funny because typically, it, typically they're not the kind of movie that I'm going to just sit down and watch because I enjoy it. For the most part, that's not the type of movie that wins a Best Picture, but... The film nerd in me, the guy who was going to go to film school, wants to see these things because I just love filmmaking and I love seeing it at its uh, at its peak. So the fact that I missed this, um, I'm glad that I was able to rectify it too. But I'm really glad that you got to see it and enjoy it at, at so much. That That's great. Yeah, because... no, it's fun when I get to watch something and I'm really like, yeah, this is really good. I mean, Scrooge was like fun and I enjoyed seeing it and it was fun that I'd never seen it but like this might go into my list of like it won't go into my top 10 by any stretch of the imagination but it's very possible this breaks into my top 50 which is actually kind of saying something yeah no that's great I I love showing somebody a new movie and then liking it so um that's always good uh I I am an emotional movie watcher um I'll bring <laughs> that up uh, yeah. Did anyone else cry during the final s speech? Yeah, I was getting there. Yeah, I was getting close. I cry at everything. The, I cry when music. it's happy. I cry when oh it's sad. Oh my god, the music! The, okay, we we haven't even talked about that yet. The, the music, music that was final speech so well done throughout the me. whole movie. Mm -hmm. It was the perfect tone. Every single scene, I could almost predict what kind of music I wanted to start, and then it would happen. <laughs> it was like so tasteful and not overdone. It didn't make it feel silly, but it also added the right amount of flavor. And yeah, the, the, when the music swells at that part and you're like, oh, I'm so proud of him. Like, you know, and it's just like, oh, and it shows his brother and you're just like, yeah, you're waiting for him to fall on his face, but he's not gonna. So deal with it and just sit there and 
be angry that you abdicated the throne. You somewhat dick face. Well, I don't. <laughs> like, I don't. I don't think after he abdicated, I don't think. And I mean, you know more about the family than I do, but I don't. Think we're trying to paint him in a bad light after the abdication. I just thought that was pre-abdication. Yeah, not, you know more than I do. Well, part of it was is that he there was a lot where from a from a personal standpoint, they very much um how do I put it? From a personal standpoint, they didn't feel badly about it. It was just that like uncle so I again I'm seeing it from the perspective of the daughters cuz I don't know the women are more of interest to me cuz I guess I think about what I would be like in in at that time as a woman, you know kind of trying because these are strong women that have to pretend like they're not because that's like the role that they have to play right which is ridiculous it's like how do you be super strong but also be the feminine and like oh slight and whatever like that's ridiculous you can't do both of those things um but one of the things that they always were like oh that's uncle so-and-so and he did this for love and he had this great relationship with his wife and that was more important to him but ultimately, he really did shirk his responsibility by abdicating the throne. And it, that is not a thing that you do. It was a bit of a controversy. And then the bigger problem was that, oh, and we're also finding out that you were a Nazi sympathizer and actually not just a sympathizer, but trying to take more action. And mm. there's a lot of yucky stuff there. And so there were definitely some times where um this is his brother or him that was his brother that that's his brother that abdicated the throne that was but his was his history yes well he he wasn't a nazi but he had there's he documented wasn't... evidence that he was in conversations with members of the nazi party he wasn't you know, as anti-nazi as we would as you would have preferred him to be sure yeah. <laughs> it was definitely a point of embarrassment um, one other thing I did want to mention about the music that I thought was kind of neat, um, reading the trivia was, um, they got some original, some of the original Royal microphones, um, that EMI had in their archives for like 70 years. They, they wow. restored them. That's awesome. Yeah. They, they That's restored amazing. them and then they used them to record the score. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. The gear nerd in me is. And. And it was one of those things where uh, the composer and the director loved the the extra color that it gave from because they sounded as good or better than some modern equipment. Um, But just oh yeah, I used to have some old speakers that are like twenty dollars. Yep, you gotta love it. There's there's something. So I thought that was a really cool thing, and I wanted to make sure uh, that I got that out there. Um, They liked the slight coloring of the sound caused by the older equipment, gave the recordings an authentic patina of the time period and that that's one of those other things where like you can go you could have gone your entire life never knowing that and it's not going to change how you think about the movie but now the next time you see it that's going to be in your head like just that little thing um and it's it's like salt in your food you don't notice it till it isn't there um like little things like that i just that that was a cool cool thing um i I can't believe they still had those too so Correct me if I'm wrong. Every time they cut to a segment of his speech, they switch to the original audio, right? I I think I read that somewhere. I didn't read that, um, but I don't believe it was the original audio. I think that was all Colin Firth. Okay. I I know video they did. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like the coronation video specifically. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, oh, there was one other little funny thing, uh, and I'll see if I can find it, but it had to do with the archbishop when he's trying to dismiss Lionel. Um, yes. And he tells him, you know, oh, we have an English doctor with impeccable credentials. And he uses, like, all those Ps in that sentence. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, the archbishop was, that guy was Scottish. So for him to, like, be all about we have this English person, I think that's funny myself. But I also think it's because he had a role to play, but too. I, I yeah, feel that's true. Like, it's like uh, it's like Simpsons, you know, England's and Scots and England's and England's and Scots versus Scots. Yeah. Damn Scottish. They ruined well, I mean, Scotland. And but part I of it, too, is that he can't. It's kind of like the death doth protest too much kind of situation Mm -hmm. right like if we highlight this guy then it makes it you know i don't know it's like but i I think the scottish and the english i did towards uh australia Mm -hmm. yeah yeah like we might hate each other but the enemy of our enemy is our friend so so the critical response from just speaking of the whole british thing i mm -hmm. love le monde um in college, I studied a lot. I studied French, and I used to read Le Monde a lot, and I always love how French newspapers handle things. Um, so a French Cinema website gave it four out of five stars based on a survey of 21 reviews. And then Le Monde characterized the film as the latest manifestation of British narcissism and summarized it as, we are ugly and boring, but by Jove, we are right. <laughs> Nevertheless, admired the performances of Firth, Rush, and Bonham Carter, and said that though the film swept British appeasement under the carpet, it was still enjoyable. <laughs> is that not the most French response? That to this is British film. That is <laughs> yes. We oh. we are unhappy with their portrayal of France, but otherwise, it was good okay. Film. It was a good acceptable film. movie. <laughs> that was a little Russian, but yes, acceptable. Uh. That was good. Uh, we will no, watch I, so it, I had but with our that. noses turned up. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so I, I had two clips that I did want to play. Um, I haven't been playing a lot of clips lately because the conversations have just been flowing, but these two I couldn't stop from playing. And one of them is Derek Jacoby or Jacoby. I think it's Jacoby, though, if I remember correctly. But did, he just he says this, and this, this is what I'm talking about when I say like he's got one of those voices, and it's this. A great moment, sir. God, that's good. Like, and and all in in my head, all I picture sir. is friggin' Nicodemus from Secret of Nim. It's I agree. <laughs> there's there's definitely an evil intent that you can sort of feel dripping from that. Yes, he even if he's, he's so playing good. literally what who's supposed to be the the best in the country, right? And then the other one was the the one moment that. I mean, I'm watching this, and you know, this isn't this isn't a funny movie, but there are moments of levity, and there are moments that make you laugh. This one legitimately had me laugh out loud. Uh, it's just a wonderful delivery by the two of them. This is during their first meeting, when he's telling them not to smoke. My physicians say it relaxes the, the throat. Well, they're idiots. And they've all been knighted. Makes it official then. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> I, know, I, I know they joked about Loke getting his knighthood, but he uh, he was uh, he was given some sort of um, yeah no he was he was given an honor uh, was, God, I can't uh, remember what it was great service to the throne of yes him. yep I don't remember the name that's that's really cool yeah 
I don't think he could have been knighted because he was Australian. Oh, I guess I they're part say, of the I Commonwealth. Think, yeah. Well, yeah. Also, I love at the beginning, they're like, who is king of 25% of the world? Like, Jesus. Yeah, I know. Seriously. That's a lot. Oh, like, I just comprehend only, that for like a and hot Only second. some of them don't completely hate it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had I, I lied. I had one other clip, and it was Michael Gambon because it's another voice and mm. just buttery smooth too. Like I wish I could have public speaking skills like these people. This this one was Michael Gambon. To all, to each, I wish a happy Christmas. God bless you. It's a voice like a warm blanket. That could have Harry Potter. Oh, yes. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Had you not known what movie that was from, that could have been straight out of uh, *Goblet of Fire's Christmas. Oh, certainly, absolutely. I, I don't. I don't deny that at Merry all. Merry Christmas! But, I know Michael Gambon is a legendary actor. He's been in many things, but he's he's Dumbledore to me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean Dumbledore. You know, I I can remember seeing him in like Sleepy Hollow back in you know the late '90s um, and all that. Plus, if you're a Top Gear fan, uh, yep, you know there's uh, Gambon, Gambon Corner, Corner, of course, where he took a vehicle on two wheels around a corner, and so forever named the Gambon Corner after that. Is it um, still Gambon in the new series? No, no, nah, the hacks. They don't no. know how to make a TV show. But um. Yeah, just phenomenal, phenomenal movie. And I'm sad that it took me nine, ten years to see it. But man, am I glad I did now. And David, I'm embarrassed a little uh, bit. I mean, I'm like, how? I can't believe I have seen it. Like, how did I like miss this? Like, that's just weird to me that I it, what's weird to me is that I literally had no idea what it was about. Like, that's the part that blows my mind. Yeah, and then I'm trying. I like how did I not even realize like what this film was? Yeah, like I can okay. I can <laughs> understand not seeing a movie and, and you at least know of it. Like I hadn't seen this, but I knew of it. I knew the rough idea of what it was about, but to not right. I, I'm knowing you and knowing that you had no idea what this was even about. That's that's the phenomenal part to me. <laughs> but hey, we fixed it. You uh, saw it now. So it's all good. Yeah, now I'm good. Yeah. I did it. We did it, Reddit. No. Um I I am I really like I said I it it doesn't sound like much when I say it is definitely in my top fifty but that actually for me is a pretty oh no I get like, that I one hundred percent get that I, mean, I have so many movies that I like that you know it, it's hard for a movie to crack like my top ten or my top fifteen oh, at this point yeah, like, yeah. that's the really top ten is real tough yeah but I'd, definitely I'd this, of course I haven't seen as many movies as you guys but this no. is in my top twenty at least. And rightfully and also, so. You don't have to feel bad. I So I was a double major. So not only international politics, but modern literature was my other major. <laughs> and that meant a lot of film classes. So it, it that's part of the reason why I have such a snobby, long film, <laughs> favorite film. Jen list. strolling in, just throwing out the qualifications. Well, to be, I, I have to qualify it because, like, I, no. t I don't know. I get, I like to be. Travis very... and I are Apple certified. <laughs> oh, well, see, there you go. You're yeah. Apple certified. That's more certified than I am. So. Well, I can put that on a resume. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I put mine on a resume, and people just laugh at it anyway. So I mean, they're like. Well, my favorite is like in interviews. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that means that you have no respect for my degree. Nope. Excellent. <laughs> 
Oh. Well, hey, I want to thank you guys for coming on this week. This was uh, a ton of fun. I'm so glad I saw this movie, but it was great oh, to talk about so it with good. you guys, too. Yeah, and it's really cool to, like, learn interesting things that I had no idea about. And I'm glad. Yeah, thank you for helping my my movie education. Well, it's my continued... Uh, my continued mission is to help everyone's film education. So, <laughs> so far, I'm I'm I got a pretty good batting average of showing somebody a movie and them liking it. Uh, so I can hopefully keep that going. I'll never forgive you for Tank Girl. I know, I know. Why does everybody hate on Tank Girl? It's the know. worst movie I've ever seen, and I don't. That's intense. That is intense. Like I I enjoy the movie. So anyway, that's real intense. Well, um, before I let you guys go, Jen, what have you got going on right now? I know Geek Grills has come back, and you've been working yes. on that. Yeah, reformatted, a uh, little more focused on our approach. Uh, you'll hear us talking a lot more about geeky women doing cool geeky things. Or if we don't have something uh, recent history going on, uh, you'll also find us talking about uh, historical grills, where we talk about women from the past doing cool things and and we're not really picking like the big ones. We're picking the ones that people otherwise would never hear about um, because that's interesting. Um, so that is continuing. Normally we don't do it on first Mondays, but this Monday I wasn't able to. So we are in fact going to have an episode on Monday. That's five o'clock Pacific, eight o'clock Eastern at twitch.tv slash geek grills. And I would also like to note that if you're, super into dc uh we do like to do our spoiler in episodes and even though we're taking a more focused approach we are still doing spoiler in episodes especially when they are uh female protagonists or female directors and whatnot and uh the birds of prey will be out that weekend oh, yeah. so we are going to do a spoiling episode on that monday so i really encourage folks that if you get a chance to see it opening weekend uh come and chat with us at on the twitch channel um Hang out in the chat as we spoiler the garbage out of it on the 10th. That sounds great. I might have to do that. I like garbage. <laughs> yeah. I like spoiling the garbage out of things. That's Jen not cussing. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, David, Travis, what, have you, what have you got going you, on? Anything? You, you have to put that at the end of this. You can say like, if you don't like swears, turn away now. You, you just have to. <laughs> hey, look. It's you, like 90% of what this movie's about. You worry about showing up for the discussion. I'll worry about producing the show, okay? I got you covered. Don't Jeez. worry. I got uh, something for you. And this All guy right. is a real, it's a real <laughs> favorite. I was on a team with this once. It was rough. Oof. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. He was one um, of my favorite teammates. They're no, all my favorite, though. What do I have going on? Uh, yeah. Anything? I don't really have anything going on. I'm probably going to start streaming video games once I get my office set up again. Uh, moved locations i finally work monday through friday now like a real human adult um what yeah no, so you can actually like, no wednesdays off <laughs> wednesdays and mondays weird weird stuff like that censor myself there um uh yeah i mean twitch.tv slash i don't even know <laughs> twitch.tv slash lord tyranid well, when you do start uh, streaming, we'll we'll be sure to let people know where to find you for. Yeah, for I mean, it's not going to sure. be anything consistent. Um, yeah, still, uh, I guess I don't really have things going on like you guys do. I would just say, <laughs> I would just say, uh, please, 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 uh, 
watch King's Speech and don't forget to vote. There you go. Yes. And Don's your express your God given American. There you go. Yes. yes. And Don's right. We should have a discussion at some point. Worst movie you've ever seen. Cause that is a great oh. discussion. Tank girl. Done. Because no, Tank girl doesn't really crack the top 100 think. worst movies I've ever seen, but I'd have to really think, cause there are some really bad movies. Let's put it this way. My friends and I used to do bad movie Sunday where we would walk. There was a video store about two and a half blocks from our house. We would walk down and we would pick out two oh, or three of, of the worst movies we could find. And it had, there were criteria. If it was, if it looked like it was an independent film, if it was typically horror films, if the images on the back did not match the cover art in any way, <laughs> um, it got extra points. If it was a sequel, it got good points. If it was a sequel in a series we'd never watched, that got good points. So like we watched Scarecrow 3. Never hmm. saw Scarecrow's one or two, but we watched three, which I'm pretty hmm. sure was filmed on a budget of seven dollars. Hmm. So I've seen some um, stinkers. What was, what was the uh, that one movie? A Wrinkle in Time. That's right. Oh, you, you oh, did I not have, like that. Yeah. I have. Plenty I couldn't. To say I couldn't see it, but I couldn't time. because. That pl- that book has too special of a place in my heart that I could not watch it be done poorly. So I haven't had book, the emotion to do it. If you love that book, like I did, do not watch that film. I don't see many movies in the theaters. Uh, however, I have seen a lot over the, my time. I might see maybe one a month. Uh, this was when I lived in Hawaii and it was 90 degrees every day and our house didn't have air conditioning. So the movies was a joyous respite. Uh, and I wanted to leave this movie as soon as possible. Wow. It's the only movie I've ever wanted to walk out of. And knowing me, who likes most things, oh, my God. You got to be a special kind of bad to to go there. I don't even – I hate to say it, but I'd have to watch it again to remember why. But I don't want to. No, don't put yourself in that. Don't, you put can't it, don't make do it. it. <laughs> oh, I oh. love it. Yeah, I do too. Anyway, uh, I love to finish the movie my time. conversation. Uh, please, <laughs> please watch good movies. Yes. Spend and, your and life bad movies, good movies. Bad movies only when you have to reestablish. Or bad movies can be fun with a group of friends. Like, I want to watch Vampire's Kiss again with a make group your of own, people. Uh, make your if own you are not... theater familiar with poodle puncher i'm gonna go ahead and pimp somebody else who's part of the diamond club community poodle puncher does movie party and clyde is one of my favorite people and one of my favorite times in all of the internet is the new year's eve streamathon we do every year mm-hmm. uh, a couple years ago we watched uh cowboys versus dinosaurs <laughs> uh, but that's just a really great example of the kind of movie that you sit in a room and or, well, on the internet but in a room quote unquote with um with your friends and watch and even though it's super bad and the dinosaurs explode because they have like gas in their veins or something i don't know from the inner earth or some crazy thing it was a great great and it was funny because there was like the tyrannosaurus rex which you could tell they only got one shot of the t-rex like Mm -hmm. their fake t-rex guy because they literally used the exact same footage just (laughs) like flipped horizontally so that they could get as much out of it as possible 
but he is one of my favorite people to watch movies with. So if you ever want to watch bad movies or even just watch any movies, the movie party crew is super fun and you'll find them in the diamond club community. Awesome. Well, that sounds great. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. This was a great show. Thank you both. Uh, tons of fun. Jen, we'll have you back again. David, uh, we'll find, we'll find more movies that you've haven't seen and, uh, we'll make you watch those. Um, um, always a pleasure. I know you wanted to talk next week was going to be gladiator, but it was, um, I had to, but you don't know anybody who hasn't. Gladiator. Yeah, I couldn't, uh, of all the movies, I can't find anybody who hasn't seen gladiator. Um, you were keeping it sort of Oscar themed. Yeah. Well, that was, so this was the final, um, of the Oscar themes cause the Oscars oh. are next week. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah, I know. Next Sunday is the Oscars. By the I'm... way, is, wait, so it's a week from Sunday at the Oscars? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to just totally do this to you in the middle of your show because that's the kind of person that I am. That's fine. If I am not busy on that day, I'm just saying, couldn't it be kind of fun to do an Oscar watch party, reaction party? Just I'm, saying. Could I'm thinking fun? that could be something fun to do as kind of a special thing. Um, I yeah. do have... Have you uh, seen anything this year? I, I I really haven't, but I don't care. I've I've done it. It's still fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, I've done it before. Even if you haven't seen anything. Now I do have coming up. I've got some good movies. Um, over the next few weeks, we're going to be um watching uh, the Terminator coming up, uh, the first one. Um, I'm going to see Amelie for the first time ever. I've oh, never seen you that. Have, I have never I've seen, seen that. Amelie. Okay, I have never seen <laughs> Amelie. And it's so funny because, like, all of my snobbery gets, like, taken away from me for never having seen that film. But it's been so long that I haven't seen it that now it's like I have to have a reason to see it. Otherwise, I just feel like I'm just mad at myself for never have watching it. <laughs> I've <watching> seen that. <laughs> How have you Nerds. seen that? How is it that you... <laughs> Okay. David okay. David is like a, a weird <laughs> amalgam of... Uh, it doesn't make any sense. I haven't seen anything important, and I've seen everything. Neat. Yeah, you haven't seen I anything, have seen but you saw so... The King's Speech and Amelie. So. Yeah. Oh, and like, what was the whoa. other one that we were talking about? Oh, I don't remember now. Wasn't but... it... Uh, what is it? The Wall? It's like one word. It's oh, yeah, it could be. Director. Um, That's crazy. But yeah, so I've got uh, Terminator, Amelie. Um, I'm going to be watching Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, I've Travis, got, I've seen all of these movies. I've got Baby Driver coming up. I haven't seen that. Oh, one. I um, need to see that. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, so that's going to be a new one for me. And and that that's one of those on my list of shame because I love Edgar Wright as a director. Uh, and then I've got scheduled a double feature two weeks in a row of Judge Dredd. We're going to do the Stallone Judge Dread, followed by the Carl Urban Judge Dread. Oh, so, that's I haven't seen. I have not seen the Stallone one. So yeah, this will be fun. So that's the next, you know, coming up next few weeks um, on the on the show here. So that'll be fun. I do like the idea though of a, of an Oscar watch party. So I think what I'm going to do is see when I can, because uh, next week is going to be the Terminator. Um, so I'll see what time I can record that, and then maybe do like a live watch party. So let's uh, let's talk about that this week. That'll uh, that'll be fun. I have seen Terminator. I have not seen Terminator Two. Oh yeah, and by the way, folks, it's the easiest way to get a hold of me if you ever want to yell at me or tell me that I'm crazy or funny or give me good compliments, I take them at the Jen says on Twitter. By the way, perfect. Got to get that. I in. just like to encourage people oh, yeah. to harass me on on the internet. Definitely. <laughs> what could go wrong, right? nothing nothing ever goes wrong from that nobody ever has the guts to do it so so all right well uh yeah 
So that's what we got coming up with the next few weeks. Um, so come back, uh, usually on Sundays. Um, until then, I do like to say enjoy your movies, and I'm also going to start adding uh, because I'm really trying to just kind of do more positive. Um, there's so much negativity out there, and stuff is so bad right now. So uh, after watching Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure a few weeks ago for like the 30th anniversary, I just you know I like to let people know to be excellent to each other. And this has been wait. You haven't seen it. I've never seen it. As if I were able to shit fuck bugger across your threshold and to speak to you. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs>